0: Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oakes. Welcome to Everything Co-op, and we're having a wonderful, wonderful day today. And we have some excellent guests on the line. We have Mr. Michael Peck with One Worker, One Vote, and we have Mr. Pat Conaty, who is the associate of the Co-ops in the U.K., and Dr. Julian Manley, who's chair of the Preston Corporate Development Network. And I know Mr. Conaty has dropped, so hopefully the technology will get there, and he'll come back on Good morning, everybody.
1: Good morning, Vernon. How are you?
0: I'm, I'm great. I'm great. Thank you guys so very much uh, for being on. So why don't we get started with Mike. Would you tell us what what is one worker, one vote and this sort of how do you get the unions to work with cooperatives? How does that work?
1: Well, certainly. Well, Vernon, you remember – A year ago this past December, when you came down to Cincinnati to see uh, the Cincinnati Union Cooperative uh, Initiative, its third uh, nationwide symposium, we had over 250 people there, um, practitioners of the union co-op model uh, from all over the country. Uh, This is a model that was created by the Steelworkers Union, uh, by the Ohio Employee Ownership Center and by, by Mondragon International. Uh, the authors of it are Rob Witherall, who's an organizer, uh, a, a first-rate a first organizer uh, for the Steelworkers, and Chris Cooper, who is a principal in the Ohio Employee Ownership uh, Center in Kent University in, in Ohio and one of the foremost uh, cooperative developers uh, in the country. And this model essentially took a worker cooperative, a Mondragon Cooperative, and it, uh, split out the, um, the social committee of the Mondragon Cooperative. You know, Mondragon Cooperatives are on a principle of one worker, one vote. That's how we got the name for our organization here in the U.S. And, uh, one worker, one vote, uh, democratic capitalism. A whole ten different principles uh, for how to uh, maintain uh, cooperative principles and democratic capitalism and cooperative practices, and what uh, what what Bundergon and the Steelworkers did was they split out the social committee, which is a committee that, um, if nothing else works in any other system to resolve disputes, you have a social committee that uh, elevates the problem uh, right up to the top. And we slid that out, and we, we slid back in uh, a progressive collective bargaining agreement, such as we would find here in the United States. And, uh, and voila, the union cooperative uh, model was born. We've um, tested it all over the country. We have examples of union co-ops now all over the country in all sorts of industries. Uh, and um, the model um, has received a lot of interest, and uh, its usage is growing. And what's interesting now... Is the model has uh, has jumped the Atlantic uh, and is now being looked at seriously uh, by the UK by the leaders of the cooperative movement and the unions there. And situated in that is is what uh, is what Dr. Julian Manley represents with the with the Preston model, which is one of the which one of the leading the leading application uh, in the UK for Mondragon principles and practices, and very close in in industrial tenor and framework and allegiance to those undergone principles of our Cincinnati Union Cooperative Initiative. So the ecosystem, Vernon, that you saw, uh, you know, right up front and personal in Cincinnati uh, is really uh, an example, uh, although in a, in a different localized sense, as Julian will explain, what's happening in Preston.
0: You know, uh, that was my second trip. I've been there two of the three years, and I went back because I really love the work that, that you are doing and how it, it magnifies this this work of the cooperative with with merging and marrying with the unions. Dr. Julian Manley, I looked at the map, I see that Preston is about a two hour drive north of London.
2: Yeah, if you go fast, yeah.
0: If you go fast. Well, the map I'm looking at says two hours, 10 minutes, and I was wondering how you could go that fast, but up close to Liverpool, or you have to go through Liverpool to get there. Just wanted people to get a sense of where Preston is.
3: Yeah, Preston's in the northwest of England. It's around about the midway between north and south, really, so it's um, it, it's kind of in the belly button of, of England. North of Manchester, Manchester's the nearest, biggest city to, to Preston. And, of course, Preston is just 50 minutes' drive away from Rochdale, which is where the Rochdale pioneers began the whole cooperative movement. So, you know, maybe there's some resonance there, too.
0: So... This sort of relationship between the U.S. and the U.K., there's, there's been lots of relationships through the years, and I guess this would be a great place for us to work together. I've talked about the abolitionists. I want to say um, Marcus, Marcus, Frederick Douglass. Du- Frederick Douglass Douglas. <laughs> Douglas went to England. He went to England, uh, Great Britain and Ireland as a slave, and he worked there and got donations from cooperators, and he came back a freedman. Um, So there's a lot of history, and this was in the mid-1800s. There's a lot of history between cooperators in the U.K. and in the U.S. So what are you doing in Preston?
3: Well, um, as uh, Michael was saying, in Preston we're very interested in the uh, Mondragon model of um, cooperatives, in Mondragon, in the Basque country in the north of Spain, uh, they have this uh, organization of cooperatives where they've got major industrial cooperatives that are interlinked with each other and uh, work uh, along the principle of inter-cooperation. And those cooperatives have a particular form of governance, which we're very interested in, and they're cooperatives based, as Michael was saying, on, on one worker, one vote, um, one worker, one vote. Whatever the status of the worker, whatever the uh, income of the worker. So it's true democracy at work. And um, furthermore, those those workers all uh, own uh, their own place of work. So we're very interested in, in that in the UK. In the UK, we've. Uh, We're we're suffering models of austerity here, and uh, we've got great um, economic and political problems. Um, I don't know how much of this uh, you're you're aware of in the States, but, for example, at the moment we're in in the midst of um, the United Kingdom leaving the uh, European Union.
0: You're talking about Um, Brexit, right?
3: Brexit, that's correct, yeah. And uh, in the the face of um, austerity, in the face of the... uh, uh, financial collapse in 2008 and faced now with Brexit, um, the, the people of Preston have um, decided, led by, principally led by the local city council, uh, but, but uh, supported by the university <laughs> and communities, um, decided to take, uh, take uh, uh, some action which will re-empower people to build up their own wealth Uh, And when I say wealth, I mean social capital as well as financial capital, and to move out of the austerity and the problems that bind us. So taking on board the Mondragon example, um, we're finding ways of uh, developing worker-owned cooperatives, and we're finding ways of uh, increasing local procurement. Um, so that wealth can be developed locally and it can be retained locally, and as a result of that, we can uh, sustain and develop uh, new employment and all of that is within the uh, framework of cooperative working and um, you know the cooperative principles and values that that govern how people work together and how they relate to each other uh, in community. And what we found so interesting about um, Michael's work and the work of One One Work and One Vote and the Cincinnati example is that Michael is well aware of the advantages of the Mondragon model, but he's also well aware of how this model has to be adapted to the circumstances of of, in, in Michael's case, the USA, and in, in our case, uh, the UK. And one of those circumstances is um, how do we manage to work with uh, the unions? Just as in the US in the UK, the unions have uh, a very noble position and a long history and a genuine uh, work of representation. So uh, we want to find a model that is as close as possible to the Mondragon model, but responds to, to the situation in, in our country, which means taking care of uh, union representation and the role of union with workers. And so the idea of having the Mondragon structure of governance and replacing the social committee with the uh, sorry, the social council in the Mondragon example, the social council with the union committee, and giving the unions a role in the uh, worker cooperative is something I think that we're we're very very interested in in taking on board. And so we we are currently. Uh, working with uh, the trade unions here in in the UK to introduce this model and to see to what extent the unions uh, would be prepared to join us in in promoting this and, and making it part of our our whole um, economic and social strategy, which people have come to know as the, the Preston model.
0: So, what I'm getting is that in 2008. Uh Things like here in the U.S. went downhill in terms of economy, went downhill in Britain. And with Brexit, it's even made it worse. And so people are in bad shape in Britain. And so folks decided they want to take matters on their own. They want to create wealth for labor, for everyday people. And one way of doing that is through creating co-ops, in this case, worker-owned co-ops. And you can create social wealth and financial wealth. We're going to have to take our first break. This is going too quickly. And and we're going to come back and find out what Mr. Pat Conaty is doing with Co-Opt UK and then get more into, mentioned several times, the structure of governance. And I want to get into that and how education fits because, Dr. Julian Manley, I understand you're an educator too, not only a cooperator but an educator. So we'll be right back and take on some of these other sections. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, W.O. at 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Uh, We have three guests on the line with us this morning. We're talking about what's going on in the U.S. as it relates to unions and cooperatives and how that information is being shared Going across the water. And this program is being sponsored by the National Cooperative Bank, whose mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. And what we talked about before we took the break was things have gotten pretty bad in the UK, and looking at a way of getting people to have wealth is merging the co ops with the unions. So let's hear from Mr. Pat Conaty.
2: Hello, Vernon. Hello, everyone.
0: So, what is Coop UK, and what are you all doing there? And how does that how does that interact with what Dr. Manley is doing at the Preston Cooperative Development Network?
2: Yeah, good question. co Cooperatives UK is the um, the national federation of all all cooperatives and mutuals in the UK and all all countries: Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales. England. So we're the federal body, and um, like in the USA, there's been this massive uh, compression of living standards of, of people since the crash. In fact, um, since 2009, um, the wages, the, the average wages have been repressed more than they've been, they've dropped more in real terms than they have ever dropped since 1850. So mm. a massive amount of uh, low-paid in-work poverty. Jobs have increased. But really the types of jobs that are being created are, are mostly precarious jobs, casualized jobs, um, people have creating their own work in self-employment. Self-employment has become you know, exponential growth really since 2009 because people can't, the public sector squeeze means that government isn't hiring. And in the private sector increasingly with digitalization and automation, jobs are being made redundant. So casualized work, self-employed work, zero-hour contracts, has become the typical type of new work, sadly. So Cooperatives UK began looking at how we might address this. And specifically in 2014-15, we began talking to the trade unions and to cooperative organizations about what services they provide for self-employed people or for otherwise precariously employed people. And um, it was very interesting because there was a lot of similarity between some of the services that different unions were providing and some of the innovations that co-ops were were leading on. And in some cases we found, for example, in areas where uh, workers uh, are in trade unions and they've almost always been self-employed, like musicians, actors, journalists. uh, There there are cases, certainly in the case of the the actors and the journalists, where in in the case of the actors, there's 25 actor co-ops, a national network, and they work closely with their union equity hand in glove. So the union does certain services around collective bargaining, advocacy, representation, legal advice, and the co-op does other services around um, providing for self-employed people to to define work and basically to up their skills and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. The, The Musicians' Union then copied that system, which the actors set up in the 1980s. And so Musicians' Union has assisted... 12 musicians' co-ops to set up in different regions of the country. And that's been tried in other areas as well, but it's still at the margins of of the mainstream union movement. So we looked um, further afield, and we found some very interesting, just over the water in France and also in Belgium, we found some very interesting co-ops that are called business and employment co-ops, where if you're self-employed, you can actually join the co-op and get the equivalent of being in work so you can get access to benefits um, if you if you're unemployed you can you know use your job you can get access to unemployment um, insurance um, they provide advice and education they provide shared working spaces and in belgium one particular um, model that started by two filmmakers in, uh, 20 years ago in, in brussels is now it started as a mutual. It's recently become a co-op, but they have eighty thousand people are supporting wow. and a growing number of workspaces across Belgium. Now that's called Smart, and um but it, it's not it's not a union, but it's a co-op initiative. It's a co-op in innovation. But you know, for example, what they do is you join Smart, and they will you know, collect your debts, they'll do the invoicing, you just give them the information, they'll do the invoicing, they will pay you within seven days, so they keep your actually cash flow going, they provide insurance, they provide education, they provide access to a range of the services, equipment, very interesting, but it's for any, any freelancer can, can actually join SMART, they've also expanded to other European countries, um, they're now working in about five other European countries with another 20,000 members. So we we introduced smart to one of the unions here called community which is the old iron and steel workers union and uh which changed their name now to community and they were fascinated by this concept and then we 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 got the interest of a of a a workspace member um called IndieCube here in Wales I, I'm based in Wales although so they work for Cult UK with 35 workspaces and got the union and this workspace organisation that's a co-op talking and they're um, now, now seeing if they can develop a joint offering, which they're which they're testing at the moment, to to freelancers to join both community union and also IndieCube the co-op with the shared working spaces. So that's the sort of thing that um, w- where we've taken our work so far. But we then, in doing doing this work, came across the work of Union Co-ops UK and or USA, and and said, well, gosh. That's a fantastic model, the Mondragon <laughs> model. Could we enhance what we're thinking about uh, for precarious workers and, and pursue that uh, as well? So, you know, that's that's where um, we've taken it. We've done a report uh, in 2017 for the Trade Union Com- Congress, which is the equivalent of the AFL-CIO, with a number of case studies. That's been positively received. And um, and in really a few months ago, we had our first meeting with um, – Eight trade union groups uh, across the UK. Uh, we've now got a steering group going. Um, we're having our next meeting next week. Um, so you know we're we're getting cracking on this, but it's still very early days in terms of following on from the work of uh, of the union co-op initiatives in Cincinnati and other cities. So um, we're quite excited about the partnership possibilities across the Atlantic.
0: Well, I'm excited just listening to you about all of the possibilities of helping everyday people, um, folks Absolutely. that could not get help on their own. Uh, people coming together, and that's why I I love this co-op model. And and Michael Peck has become a brother in this work. Uh,
1: uh, yes, sir. Yes, so, sir.
0: <laughs> it does not surprise me that not only is he doing this in Cincinnati and other places in the U.S., but now looking at taking it overseas and get this knowledge and one of the things i like about co-ops i've taught for 12 years dr manley and i i love teaching and get watching people get it is that training is in the center of what the co-ops are all about and this paper i read says that starting with education uh, the mondragon way so who would like to tell me what the mondragon way is
1: well, I think we should let Julian do that, because uh, Julian is, is, first of all, he's, he's, he's the professor in, on our team, on our transatlantic team, and also he has actually taught and worked in Mondragon. Oh, great. Julian?
3: Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I think one of the most important lessons to learn from the history of Mondragon is that it took them 13 years of education before <laughs> they created their first co-op. And um, when you consider what they've achieved now, it's hard to go back in time and imagine that they had this 13-year hiatus where what they were doing was learning about co-ops, learning about co values, linking those values to, uh, to uh, religious ideas of, of working together and in community and for the common good. Um, learning uh, technical and business skills, and it took them 13 years. They set up a technical college, and it was 13 years before they created the first co-op. And the, the, I think the lesson to learn from that is that um, when we talk about um, creating uh, a co-op, um, we're not talking about uh, a simple quick fix. Um, you know, you you could just uh, set up a co-op and just say, well, off you go. But we're we're not talking about that. We're talking about a system that transforms the way people uh, behave with each other, the way people interact, that encourages people to engender uh, tolerance and respect, uh, to understand uh, what citizenship and empowerment is, to participate in, in in, in a democracy to take responsibility for decisions rather than waiting for uh, some faceless boss to, to tell, tell people what to do, and all of that all of that is a social, emotional and psychological transformation as, as much as it is of economic benefit. so we 've taken that on, on board in, in Preston. And, you know, in Preston, it's uh, it's about co ops, but it's about all sorts of things which come with the creation of co ops. And education's uh, one of them.
0: Dr. Manley, well, we have, on the one hand. Dr. Manley, um, Dr. Manley, we have to take our next break, and I don't want to stop you, but oh, we've got sure. to take it. So we'll come right back and talk more about, about this as soon as on the other side of the break. Please don't touch that down. News Talk,
1: 1450
0: AM, at a 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative. And we have Mr. Michael Peck, uh, Mr. Pat Conaty, and Dr. Julian Manley on the line with us today. And what's already become clear in this first half an hour, gentlemen, is that I could have Spend an hour or two talking to each one of you individually.
1: So. That's right. That's right. Vernon, can I, can, I, can I jump in here for a second? Okay. So, first of all, you can see the talent that we have in the UK. I mean, that, that's so apparent. And also, what we're able to do is we now have this learning process where we're learning from everywhere to anywhere. Uh, from the center, which really, I guess, for our movement is Mondragon, but back to the peripheries and and then from the peripheries back to what we have, multiplying centers like Preston and Cincinnati and New York City. Your your interview uh, last week with Deputy Mayor Phil Thompson, who's also fully involved with our union co-op model. So I just think that this is so exciting, this transatlantic union co-op, really hybrid model bridge that we're seeing in action.
0: I, I'm, I'm extremely excited, excited, gentlemen, and wanted to spend a little bit more time talking about this education piece. Dr. Jessica gordon Nimhardt in her book, Collective Carriage said that in the, in the black experience here in the U.S., it all started with the education. That's what I heard Dr. Julian Manley talking about is it starts with the education, and that's why... Ninety percent of worker co-ops or co-ops that get started are still in business after five years, where in the normal capitalistic model, only about 10 percent are still in existence after five years. It's this education piece. And I would really love it, Dr. Manley, if you could come over, May, with Mike, and, and, and teach our Congress and senators and White House this thing of tolerance and respect and responsibility you were talking about.
1: What, right, would, right. what would
0: it be like if everybody had these skill sets? <laughs> That's a <laughs> great idea. to for from... a,
1: a
3: cooperative White
0: House. <laughs> yeah, of <the> course. <laughs> <yes. laughs> so so but what I wanted to get to is this humanity at work under Mondragon White. What is that, humanity at work?
1: Julian, you want to start?
3: Uh, well, Humanity at Work is the, the Mondragon uh, motto, and um, I think it's a very good uh, summary of uh, of what
2: they do in, in three words.
1: Hello? I think we might have lost Julian.
2: Do you, do you want me to pick up, or...? Uh, oh, uh,
1: please. Sure, Pat, go ahead.
2: Well, hopefully you'll reconnect. Um, right. Uh, just an interesting example... Um, When we had our our meeting um, in November with the co-ops and and the unions, you know what we're trying to do is actually bring the two parties together and get them to find the common ground. I mean, in in the past uh, here, like you know, certainly before the First World War, a lot of workers, active workers, were members of co-ops and unions at the same time. But the the two movements have diverged really uh, a lot in the last uh, Mm -hmm. century, and we're trying to reconnect them again. And one of the issues for me was that, for example, when we did the research about what unions are doing for the self-employed or the precarious worker and what the co-ops are doing and compared and contrast and tried to see where the cross correlation was. Well, one big area, for example, if you're precariously, um, in work, it's very difficult to get housing because your, 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 your pattern of work, if you're self-employed, your income is up and down and a lot of, a lot of people just don't want to take you on. A lot of landlords don't want to take you on. So there's a huge opportunity for not only providing workspace as, as like organizations like the Smart Co-op in Belgium does and IndyCube in, in Wales does, but, but also to provide housing in workspace. So the co-op movement can actually become a big player on that side as well. And, you know, the unions and, 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 and the co-ops can say, well, look, how do we bring these different services together? Because we're really about meeting needs. Um, in this increasing workforce is losing employment rights, you know, as people outsource and privatization increases, public sector jobs decrease. A lot of the union strength is still in the public services, as you know, both here and in in the U.S. So, um, we began looking at models in Italy as well, where um, for example, in the 1970s, they began experimenting with social cooperatives for social care, for example, for community health, um, for um, people leaving leaving prison. How do we get them a job? Um, and um, experimenting with these worker co ops and also multi stakeholder co ops that could involve family members as well in the co op. And um they've they've increased since the eighties from a thousand in nineteen eighty nine to um twenty three thousand in Italy uh worker or social cooperatives. And they've done that through public policy that they've been able to change uh, with laws that favor the development of worker co-ops or for firms to convert from, you know, a family business into a worker co-op. The Italian system allows for that transition to happen. Um, There's been also a law in 1991 for um, social cooperatives in care, in education, in public service, you know, in community health services, which achieved in 1990 one, a national trade union agreement with the Italian trade unions to support this development. So this increase to this over a million workers in these worker and social co-ops in Italy is not $9 billion in turnover. About half of those co-ops have collected bargaining agreements. So it's really particularly exciting. So we've been talking to some of the public sector unions about how they could get involved in this, you know, to create good-paying jobs and good conditions by joining forces. So it's just another example. The last example that I'd like to give is that we met up with a a co-op that in the 1980s was in the whole food sector, and in in logistics, warehousing, and so on, called SUMA. And they were were a successful worker co-op, and they were looking to find a trade union that they could actually join forces with. They struggled, but eventually, they, they got the baker's union involved, so they've been actually running a worker co-op model, a union co-op model, since 1986, successfully. Wow. <laughs> now that particular uh, worker co-op has got over 200 members. It's um, it's 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 it's, it's it, it does distribution across England and Wales, and also does some work overseas. And it's kind of a very interesting organization. And when we told the story from from, from one of the workers at, at our meeting, their jaws dropped because he said. Look, our combined benefits for our worker owners is thirty-seven thousand dollars a year in an industry where the average is nineteen thousand dollars in combined benefits. Wait, wait, hold, they hold, have hold, a flat. Hold, 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 Pat, pay,
0: Pat, they, let me make sure I got They have this. a
2: flat pay. A flat pay <laughs> structure. Everyone gets equal pay. <laughs> we we were we, we met up with a, with a, a, a co-op that in the nineteen eighties was in the whole food sector and in, in logistics, warehousing, and so on, called Suma. And they were they were a successful worker co-op, and they were looking to find a trade union that they could actually join forces with. They struggled, but eventually they they got the bakers union involved. So they've been actually running a worker co-op model, a union co-op model, since 1986 successfully. Wow. <laughs> now that particular uh, worker co-op has got over 200 members. It's um, it's 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 it's, it's it, it does distribution across England and Wales, and also does some work overseas. And it's kind of a very interesting organization, and when we told the story from from, from one of the workers at, at our meeting, their jaws dropped because he said, "Look, our combined benefits for our worker owners is thirty seven thousand dollars a year in an industry where the average is nineteen thousand dollars in combined benefits. Wait, wait, hold, they hold, have hold, a flat hold, 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 Pat, pay, Pat, Let
0: me make sure I got it. They have this. a
2: flat pay. They have a flat pay <laughs> structure. Everyone gets equal pay." <laughs> So, actually, the distribution <laughs> of that across their workforce means that everyone actually doubles, doubles their income just by the way they've run the co-op. Really interesting. I mean, the bankers' union, has said, look, we've been working with this
0: co-op for 20 years. We think it's fantastic. So, they've been working with the co-op and with the union. Okay, the union combined. But this 37000 versus $19,000. Combined
2: benefits. That's, all, that's obviously wages plus benefits and things like that. It's the roll-up the roll of of you know the combined salary and benefits
0: that they that they take basically is that thirty seven thousand pounds
2: pounds okay okay wow yeah so but what's interesting is that the operational model that have been developed by the United Steelworkers and and Michael and, and the network in in the USA they've been operating that way with basically the union committee replacing the social council in the model. And you know the worker, the worker, tr- the worker board, and all that—the whole U.S. model—they've been working that way since 1986 in growing the model. But you know, it was just we didn't know it was there, and it yep. just came out of the research.
0: So, so that, uh, yeah. I, I want to go to the Preston model where it says the second thing is to tell a good story. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons we have this show <laughs> is to tell yeah. some of these stories that are just so exciting about how people come together, work together. And they get individual wealth, but also community wealth. Share the wealth. Yes. Fascinating. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Pat, it says in, in one of these documents that I read that you are trying to double the number of co-ops in the U.K.? And and, and what I yeah. get for co-op U.K. is sort of like NCBA here, National Co-op Business right. Association, exactly. a National Arm. Right.
2: Right. Okay. That, that's our that's our brother or sister organization, yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. So you, you're going to try to double the amount of co-ops in the U.K.?
2: Yeah. We published a book uh, called the cooperative advantage in in 2015 where we uh, we looked at 15 industries, you know, education, we looked at agriculture, we looked at housing, uh, we looked at um, health, you know, you know, manufacturing, you know, the fishery, you know, whole, all all the, all these different industrial sectors. And we looked at cooperative innovation that was happening and and how we could actually how it would be possible with national strategy to get behind that to double the size of the cooperative economy in the U.K. Now, of okay, course, Rochdale pioneers, most people know in 1844 the Rochdale principles, you know, Rochdale and Greater Manchester. But actually, the, compared to other countries in Europe, the cooperative sector is, is relatively small. So it counts for 2% of gross domestic product. Whereas in Italy, for example, and I gave you the example of, of the worker in social co-ops in Italy, it's 10% of GDP, in one region alone in Italy, uh, Emilia Romana, where they've had this amazing development of cooperatives, the cooperative sector accounts for 37% of the regional economy in terms of turnover. Right. So what we're trying to do in, our, in, in the 2015 book is to look at, in those different sectors, how we could develop strategies for those sectors to raise our game. And so the book impressed the, the Labour Party, and the Labour Party recently um, has... Come on board to commit, if they get elected into government, next government, when that ever happens, to want to help us as a movement, you know, co UK and the social and the co-op movement, to double the size within one one term of government, uh, you know, to go from 2% of GDP to 4% of GDP. And they recently produced a report on ways to do that. One interesting way that they've identified in, 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 in the book or in the report was that every year some 40,000 small businesses change hands. Right. You know, the, the, the owner of the business of his family business retires and often sells the business, or uh, sometimes, you know, it, the, it just you know, it gets, you know what they like, mm-hmm. the succession problem issue. And the trouble is is that the existing legislation favors not worker co-ops, but employee share ownership plans, that kind of thing, where, which actually are often used for management buyouts rather than worker buyouts. So one of the big problems here is that the worker co-op model is discriminated against in the existing legislation. And one of the problems is is that if you sell to a worker co-op, the seller, the the owner of the family that's selling, has to pay 20% plus in uh, capital gains tax. But with the employment share ownership plan model, they don't have to pay that because they can put it into a trust. So it's a real impediment to worker co-op. Development. So if we could only convert of uh, those 40,000 businesses 5% a year uh, into worker co-ops, we could easily double the size of the co-op movement within four years. Okay. So, you know, that's just one way. Now, if all, if all of those could be union co-ops as well, just think about that.
0: <laughs> well, the labor party you mentioned... I just want to, quick for the people here, that we have the Republican and the Democratic are the main two parties and the Independent. So what are the parties in the U.K.? Labor Party is one. What's the other one?
2: Conservative. Well, the two main ones. So the nearest to the Democratic Party would be the Labor Party. And, of course, nearest to the Republican Party would be the Conservative Party. Okay. And the Conservative Party is in power at the moment, just like, you know, the Republicans are in power, mm-hmm. and, and at least you know, in, the, in
0: the U.S. Right. So, if the Labour Party gets in, Democrats get in, then you could see this happening better. They would more likely embrace this union cooperative model and get the laws in place.
2: Yeah, uh, but they've also com- they've also committed to things like the Preston model that Julian can talk more about because that's about community wealth building, which you know at the local level, at the city level or the town level, um, could be hugely transformative in terms of tackling poverty and the housing crisis and also low pay.
0: All right, we're gonna take right. our final break. When we come back, I know the first principle is volunteer and open membership. Who are the people you're talking about? Let's let's still bring it right on. Who's who's benefiting and who has the need? We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Information is power and that's why WOL makes a great partner for this program, Everything Co op. But you know, I found out it, and we were told the first week we were on about five years ago that it's not information that's power. It's the action that you use the information. You gotta sort of strike the match, and that striking the match is going into action. And Doctor Manley is back online. Thank you, Doctor Manley, for coming back and we have, Hello. Sorry about that. Oh that's Technology. Pat Conaty and Michael Peck are on with us. So I wanted to talk about the first principle is volunteer open membership. And when you're talking about folks that are in bad shape in the U.K., who are these people that you're helping with? What's, what's their demographics? Dr. Manley or Pat? Pat, you can answer
2: that.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, well, certainly. I mean, I suppose the issue for us in terms of um, – The freelance co-op models that I described, the one in Belgium and also the other ones, they're still coming at things from a very low base. And I think one of the issues for us uh, is really what is the best organizing strategy? Because the trade unions themselves really are finding that their model of collective bargaining, which worked for bigger organizations for a long time since the Great Depression, in this market where people are actually increasingly you know, hard to reach, um, working on their own in isolation, working in poverty. I mean, research shows that 83% of precarious workers are in poverty. Self, self-employed people working in casualized labor, you know, 85% of them are in poverty. That wasn't the case 10 years ago. So it's a question of how can the how can the organizing model reach out to them and bring them in? And I think that's really where I think... There aren't any uh, quick answers.
0: But, but Pat, what, my, question my my question is, you know, what's the gender like? What's the racial makeup? What's the political or religious background? I know it's all people, but these eighty-five percent of the folks in this group are in poverty. But who? Who? What do they look like? What's the story? Who are they?
2: Uh, self the self-employment pattern has changed in the last ten years. So, for example. Increasingly, those people who are in precarious employment, of course, are either women uh, and also ethnic minorities. And you know that that trend is just—I don't have exactly the figures of the breakdown, but the figures I've seen in terms of gender has been—you know—the women in self-employment has massively increased since 2009. I mean, it used to be well under 50 percent, but now it's actually increasing—you know—considerably. So, uh, and that that trend continues to grow. Yeah. So, in terms of the demographic, you know, we're talking about the poorest people of all colors, really, in the country. You know, are in on, in this situation either zero hour contracts, people working in in different parts of the gig economy, people facing automation because their jobs, uh, you know, are being kind of um, automated out of existence. You know, these are people increasingly at the sh- at the sharp end. You know, and 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 also the further you go north in the country the more the precarious work, you know, is, is, is greater than it is obviously in other places like in London where the economy, you know, has been, I mean, the housing crisis in London is huge, um, but the economy um, has been doing better than, let's say, here in Wales or Northern Ireland or Liverpool and the, you know, in different parts of the country. The, other, the regions have been suffering really badly.
0: And so you're seeing this cooperative, union cooperative model coming in and helping all of these people, that are marginalized no matter what, yeah, in diff-
2: in diff- what they look ways, like. different ways, absolutely. I mean, we, we were, my, mm-hmm. my colleague uh, Silla Ross went to the union co-op conference in Cincinnati and was really impressed with what she saw there from the community grassroots organizing of, of union co-ops. So u- unions and co-ops are actually designed from the get-go to be the model. So, I mean, you know, that's, something that we would like to pursue here it's it's a very interesting achievement in different cities in the united states and the work that michael's been doing with with his colleagues in the different uh, ten cities
3: yeah and if i can chip in here uh, vernon mm-hmm. i think that uh, one of the uh, issues in, in britain with brexit in in terms of demographic and in terms of work has been that people have been blaming immigrants um and that probably resonates with you in the united states People have been blaming immigrants, and uh, by immigrants, they they mean people of color, whether they're immigrants or not. They've been blaming immigrants for stealing their jobs and uh, things of that nature. Um, And although this is uh, patently false, it it is a a reality of the atmosphere. And uh, we think in Preston that uh, working cooperatively Encouraging people from different ethnic groups, different communities, in, in my case, within Preston, to, to work cooperatively will actually take away the fear and the blame and the falsehood of, of that kind of attitude. And, and in that respect, working cooperatively post-Brexit, if Brexit ever happens, will be a way of trying to ensure that we don't fall into that Uh, xenophobic trap and uh, to help people to work together at work, democratically and therefore uh, in community as well. And the university is um, helping the communities in Preston to try to understand the connection between uh, working uh, together ethnically in communities and the way of working cooperatively in businesses. So we have um, a couple of uh, research projects. One is my own, which works with the cooperatives, and another one is uh, belongs to colleagues who are working directly with communities. And we're working to make sure that that those two research projects actually become and merge into one uh, in the future. So working cooperatively, working... With uh, cooperative businesses, um, has a, can do a lot of good to change that kind of poisonous atmosphere that we have here at the moment.
0: It's interesting. It's poison and false. That's which yeah, which um, yeah have to get at it. here. If you say yeah, we know it here. It's poisonous and it's false, and it it hinders progress. It hinders this creativity, this innovation. So, Mike, what else do you have on the, on the slate? <laughs> you seem right. to be doing a lot, but
1: No, no. Uh, thank you, Vernon. As you can see, when you get to hang around people like, like Julian and Pat and Phil yeah. Ross and Ed Mayo in the U.K., uh, your whole game gets lifted up, and I'm, I'm really grateful for this collaboration. Also, Ivan Zugasti of, of Mondragon and, and our teams in New York City and Cincinnati. Just a couple of points. Um, Pat mentioned SMART, and the correspondent to SMART would be our freelancers union here in the United States, started by um, the one and only Sarah Horowitz and now led by Caitlin Pierce. Uh, they have over 350,000 members in the U.S., very similar to SMART. Um, the other point uh, to, um, to the politics of what's happening here is we all know about the, uh, the, Gillibrand, the Gillibrand, Senator Gillibrand, last August Main Street Employee Ownership Act, which was bipartisan legislation in this incredibly polarized moment, the most polarized moment in our recent political history in the U.S., we managed to get uh, a bipartisan piece of legislation on, on advancing the cause of worker and employee ownership, uh, the, the, the best of its kind in the last two decades. So I think that's, that's really a secret of, of, of the kind of success that we can have on a bipartisan basis. And the other thing is, is hybrid models union co-op is a hybrid model. And as Julian suggested, and as Pat has shown, you know, hybrid is the key, especially for countries like the U.S. that are based on, on immigrants and immigrant histories. And and the transformative fact that in the U.S., 12% of our population are immigrants, but they 24% of the patents. I mean, clearly, it's the creative comparative advantage. And hybrid models go hand in hand with the localization of of, mon- of experiences like, like Mondragon, like Amidia Romana, like what's happening at Preston and Cincinnati. Localizing these experiences allow you to, to go across geographic boundaries and create templates that are reusable and recyclable and continuously applicable, you know, once they've been customized. So I think once again, you know, your radio show and our cooperative movement is about cooperating and you can see the advantages that accrue to all of us and we reach out and do that.
0: Yep. It's fascinating. We only have another minute and a half or so, so anybody have a last comment on what you want to leave the listeners with?
2: Well, there's one issue that we haven't talked about, Vernon, and that is the issue of investment. There really does need to be investment into into these projects. One of the, one of the main things that made Mondragon also successful was that they had their own bank right at the center of the cooperative system, There is work in in New York uh, and also here in Wales and also in in, um, Manchester and Bristol to develop regional cooperatives to actually invest in the the regional cooperative economies. Um, Mondragon had a regional bank and he set it up uh, in in 1956 and it's actually helped develop uh, the opportunities for humanity at work. So I think really we do need to get the kind of social investment side right Right. And the, the emergence of discussions about public banks and regional cooperative banks could actually help us solve that problem.
0: We have to cut it off here. And humanity at work really means that labor is sovereign, that capital is subordinate to and supportive of labor, but labor Amen. is the key. I got it. Amen. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you guys Absolutely. very much. We will we'll want to come. We want to cycle back and probably get one of you on for the hour. Each of you. Thank you very much for taking the time, and everybody out there, please have a cooperative week. Live cooperatively, and let's get some of this training so we have a better world.